And Julie Andrews, if you don't know. Who wrote it? Maybe Mary we should Poppins. look up real quick who wrote this. Bill Kelly. Oh, what else did he do? Uh Bill Screenwriter. Screamwriter. Premonition. Blast from the past. Timeless. Pain and gain with the rock. Oh, boy. No way. Oh, my God. Pain and gain looked so cringy. It also had Marky Mark. Yeah. Disenchanted? What's that? Isn't that the Futurama-style show? Oh, my God! Don't look at it! What? What? Ten years after her happily ever after, Giselle questions her happiness, inadvertently turning the lives of those in the real world and Andalasia upside down in the process. They're working on pre-production for a sequel to Enchanted. Oh, my God. No Not way. Bad. It's called Disenchanted, and he's writing that one now. Holy shit. It might be in the same universe as Godmother, which is about to come out, because it really feels like the same universe. Okay. I am I am shook. Are we already doing a sequel when they're already making a sequel? I'm ready. Alright. <laughs> Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, an imp who whispers all the things you probably shouldn't do into your ear. That makes a lot of sense but when you say it that way, though. <laughs> Very cool. Diabolic. <laughs> and I'm Jack Olander, a random New York citizen that drops pieces of technology into Andalasia. I'd just like to imagine what goes on over there. Oh, man. I mean, we've already, we already know that thanks to Nancy, they've been introduced to wild inhibition-defying <laughs> sex. Imagine, like, when a cell phone ends up there. And we know that cell phones get reception there. She, Nancy says that her cell phone got really good reception in Andalasia. She broke hers because she was, like, ready to just go on her wild sexcapade across the land. But imagine if somebody else got a hold of a cell phone or, like, an iPod or, I don't know, a laptop. I guess you couldn't really charge them, though. And would they be able to get information from our world? Is it because the portal is open? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like a pretty much a short trip from Andal from a random well in Andalasia to a New York City sewer system. And we never got to figure out how that came to be. I mean, that, that means that there's other portals around the world that go to like different parts of Andalasia. I don't even know. Is Andalasia a country? Is it the name of the world? Like, you know, there could be other nations that you go to, maybe ones that are at war with Andalasia. Yeah, you. I mean, I kind of figured it was the name of their kingdom. Could be. It's true. Also, the portal to New York in Andalasia has a waterfall continually running into it. That water is going somewhere. To the sewer. Yeah. Because it goes into the New York sewer. Yeah. 
Does that mean the New York sewer water is magical? Oh, God. Don't drink it. That's Please don't why drink there's it. all those mythical crocodiles down there. What do you mean? Yes. What do you mean mythical? <laughs> They're down there singing and dancing. <laughs> and we're missing out up here like a bunch of idiots? Yeah. God. All those people in New York flushing alligators down the toilet. I mean, this explains why rats showed up at um, Robert's house when Giselle was, like, calling out to them, right? Because there's already a bit of magic in our world it, through the water system. Well, and also, like, rats in the sewers of New York and stuff. Okay. So she was calling sewer rats into his so house. So everything in this world is infused with the barest minimum of magic. And that's how she's able to reach out to everything. Maybe. I mean, this is posing a lot of questions that I think might be the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about in a minute here. But before we actually <laughs> completely go off the rails, why don't we get a little summary of Enchanted for those who haven't seen the movie since last week and we did our episode on it. Just a, a, a brief tidbit of a summary. Okay, here are some key takeaways from the film Enchanted. Um, a realm called Andalasia exists, and there's a portal between that and New York, as we mentioned before. So that's one of your first key takeaways. And possibly other parts of the world. Uh, another takeaway is that is that tr uh, true love in this realm is a, a powerful force that has healing properties and can make wishes come true. And potentially devastating consequences for people who might not have their true love in the same realm of existence that they are from. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, another key takeaway is that uh, maybe your true love isn't something that you have an attraction to somebody at first sight. Maybe it's something that you build up over time. Possibly. Show enough. And if you don't remember some of the characters, Giselle is the main character. She's uh basically a forest druid. <laughs> there was And a bard. <clears throat> right. Uh maybe she's got a dual class there. Uh there was also Edward, who is the prince of Andalasia, and his evil stepmother, Queen Nerissa, who wanted to hold on to her throne at all costs. She can transform into a dragon. <laughs> uh there was Nathaniel, who was like Nerissa's Little spy and um Toady? Yeah, Toady. And he follows the prince around. Wannabe lover. Uh there was also Pip, who was a chipmunk who could talk in Andalasia at least. And he was Giselle's best friend. A highly intelligent animal, even on Earth. He doesn't have his <laughs> He's not stripped of his intelligence, but he is stripped stripped of his vocal cords. Yeah. When he comes to our realm of existence. And on the real world New York side of things, we had Robert, a, a divorce lawyer, and his daughter. And a divorced lawyer. Right. He's a divorce lawyer and a divorced lawyer. Exactly. And he had a daughter named Morgan who really liked Giselle and believed her from the get-go. She was a six-year-old little girl. And then... Robert had a girlfriend named Nancy uh, who was a seamstress, and they had been together for five years. And they had never even slept over with each other. Yeah, it's pretty 
Five years, if, if no sleepovers. He he said he wanted to have give Morgan some space, but she was only six when this movie started, or during this movie. So that means that she was one year old when he and Nancy got together. Like, she wouldn't have fucking known any better. Like, Yeah, I mean, she could have very well at one point thought that Nancy was her mother. I know. So, like, they could have moved in together. It wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I think the whole point is that Robert is reluctant because it's 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 about him. It's not actually that he is concerned about Morgan. That is his smokescreen for his own insecurity and probably worry that this relationship is going to fail because he says basically in the movie that most relationships fail. And I guess that's also where his profit comes from because he's a divorce lawyer. Oh, profit. Like where he makes his money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's his I thought you his were saying living. his profit. And I was like, who was a prophet in the movie? <laughs> like somebody who creates prophecies. No, no. Like he, he's kind of got a vested interest in people's relationships falling apart, right? I guess so. So he assumes that his relationship is going to fall apart. All right. Well, that's about all you need to know right there. Oh, also, wait, at the end, um, Giselle and Robert get together and Giselle basically takes over Nancy's identity and business. And then uh, at least in terms of like taking over her clothier business and taking her boyfriend and then Nancy goes back to Andalasia with Prince Edward and they get married. Do you think Giselle like goes to Nancy's family and it's like, hi, it's me, Nancy. And, they, and like just uses her magic and they're like, oh, hi, daughter. So nice to see you. And like, they just never talk about it. <laughs> That's big Neil Gaiman vibes right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, also. My personality demands that you believe I am your daughter. I mean, Giselle is a powerful magic user. Yeah, it's true. I think it would be more she has a song about how she's the new Nancy and how they're adopting her <laughs> in the daughter's place. Yeah. And it's like she found her happily ever after. Now you have me for a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and they would good. just be like, welcome to the family. Yay. <laughs> and they never think about it again. Yeah, <laughs> it. way to go, Nancy. You're making it. You're doing good. <laughs> You're doing good. All right. Well, so I actually just realized that I have yet to um, tell our listeners what we're doing here today. This is a mini episode of Swords and Satire where we are going to follow in the proud tradition of our rewriting history mini episodes where we take the movie that we watched the previous week, and we come up with a sequel, a reboot, a spinoff, or a crossover for that movie. And this week, I believe Chelsea has an idea for what we're going to do with Enchanted. Thank you for that introduction to our episode about 10 minutes in. That's great. I, you know, I, uh, I'm looking at the clock here. It looks like it's about 15 minutes in. Maybe it'll be different on, on the listener's end. <laughs> one of us will be right after I edit it down, and we'll see which one. Jack, do you want to guesstimate how many minutes in he, he, he did it? 
We're taking a page out of the Netflix series Evils book by putting our intro 12 and a half minutes into the episode. Fun <laughs> fact that I, I thought that Evil was a Netflix show too. It is not. It's like a CBS show or something. Oh, would you look at that? Yeah, I, I really thought of the Netflix series. It had all of the like qualities of a Netflix series, like starring Mike Coulter, yeah. Netflix Luke Cage. Yeah. Yes. Possibly one of, oh man, I, I was going to say possibly one of the best uh, main characters from the Marvel Netflix uh, shows, but man, I like a lot of them. So guys, what do you think? Should we do the episode? Nah. Yes. Let's just keep talking about Luke Cage. <laughs> we'll need at least several episodes for that, so. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So listen to my idea let's just do let's just follow the improv technique of yes and okay <laughs> that's that's a great way to try to get people to agree to whatever you say like hey guys like i'm gonna tell you my idea but let's remember the improv law first <laughs> i need that right now because we actually were looking into the writer for uh the movie enchanted bill kelly and before we even looked up what he's doing right now, I had this idea. And then we looked up what he's working on right now, and it's just fucking perfect. So my idea was that we rewrite this movie, or it could be a sequel, okay? Let me tell you my idea, and then you guys tell me which way we should go. But I wanted to do kind of an adaptation kind of deal where the writer is struggling to write the movie either this one or the <laughs> second one which we know now is happening and i was like no way this works so perfectly with my idea oh because you we... mean adaptation the nicholas cage movie exactly because we just found out that bill kelly is writing disenchanted right now the sequel that's being worked on for enchanted and so it's in pre-production. He's writing the script for the movie Disenchanted, which covers what is happening to Giselle 10 years in the future after the movie Enchanted has taken place. And so I think it would be really great to, like, maybe have something in between those two where it's him struggling to write the script for the second movie, Disenchanted. That is a wild idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about Bill Kelly, so it's going to be complicated to come up with how he will play into the story, but sure. I've got an idea. <laughs> I've got an idea, right? Okay. Famous writer-director, Bill Kelly, made <laughs> the movie writer. Enchanted, he right? was, he's not. He, was, he wasn't the director. Kevin Lima was the director. Famous writer, Bill Kelly, right? Yeah. Not famous director, Bill Kelly. Right? He's yeah. written Enchanted. And after he's done so, he's like, all right, Ty, I've got this idea in my head for a sequel where, like, you know, things aren't going exactly according to plan for the princess, right? But the thing is, the second he writes and releases the movie script, he starts seeing the world as a magical, wonderful place. Like, the movie has cursed him with whimsy. Yeah, but what if 
that happens somehow partway through him writing the script. And that's like mm. how he copes with this writer's block and everything. Well, now hold on, because when you started saying this, I got an interesting flash or idea <laughs> because adaptation is a movie about Charlie Kaufman trying to write an adaptation of a nonfiction book. Yeah. And then I was like, well, how does that work with Enchanted? I know how that works with Enchanted because we've talked about this on our show before about how Robert E. Howard wrote Conan and said that Conan would come to him at night and tell him these stories. Yeah. So you're saying Giselle comes to, yes. to Bill Kelly in his dreams and sings to him. So we've got kind of a Robert, I'm sorry, we've got kind of an adaptation meets Roger Rabbit, like real world and then animated world crossover with the adaptation thing. Yeah. Kind of as the, I don't know which part is the hamburger and which part is the bun that keeps it all together. I don't know if the adaptation is the hamburger and Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the bun that holds the idea together or vice versa, but I think we can figure it out. Yeah, we can suss that out as we talk about it. Oh, man, this is a wild idea, guys. So, yeah, Giselle could meet him in his dream after he's, like, struggling with this writer's block. So What, it, it, what is the catalyst for her suddenly coming into his dreams, though? Maybe he gets an idea from a dream. I mean, okay, we know that New York and Andalasia are connected on a physical level. Maybe they're connected on a spiritual level, too. And, like, they're just somehow they're both sleeping at the same time in, like, the place that is the the equivalent of where Giselle's treehouse is in Andalasia oh. and the mirror version of that on Earth. And, you know, New York was really almost a character in the movie itself. That's how you know that he lives there. Yeah. So it could be that, like, he writes one line, right? He's able to get one line out and then he falls asleep and he's like, he can't, like, write anything else the whole day. And he's, like, torturing himself. But he finally falls asleep at his computer or laptop. And that's when he has the first dream. I, I need to clarify before we keep going. Are, is he writing the original movie or the sequel? Because it seems like he would be writing the original movie if he's never... Unless he, like, made up Giselle and then found out that she was real. Like, he was getting the dreams. That's how he wrote the first movie. And then he gets the writer's block for the second movie and finds out that all of these dreams that led to him writing the first movie were actually a real person's life in this other world. No, I, I do think I want it to be the second movie that he's trying to write and having trouble with because it's been over 10 years in real life. Well, yeah. So then the so, one I, the version I just said is what it would have to be, that he like got these dreams that inspired the first movie and then he didn't realize that he was writing about a real person's life. And then as he's writing the second movie, that's when he actually is able to make the connection and meet Giselle and like learn her new stories. Like he even thinks that he might see her at a like a local cafe or something while he's writing about it. Yeah, I like that. No, I like that. And then uh, he's going around. He starts hearing music. He's like, wait a minute. Isn't that? And then he he kind of listens harder and it's not. And he's like, oh. What's going on here? I like that. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so, I mean, at that point, like, he really probably is seeing Giselle because she's in New York. Right. So that's what's going to trigger this kind of weird, like, maybe obsessive thing where he's like, I know, like, but he's trying to make it not be weird, right? Like, he doesn't want to be seeming like a stalker, but he's seeing this person who he wrote this movie about. Yeah. And maybe he even meets her at one point. Like, he goes to her clothier place and kind of follows her there or follows her to a coffee shop or something and actually ends up talking to her. But know. how do we do that? But that is not creepy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking like, it's probably like, it's creepy that he would be following her around, of course, but I don't think it's unreasonable. You wrote an entire movie about a character you assumed was fictional and are now seeing evidence of them existing in your world. Like, it's no surprise he would follow that person if he believed that it was true. Okay, what if he observes one of her random song and dance numbers in the street somewhere? He's, like, through a window and he's, like, looking out and he sees this, like, totally spontaneous dance routine just show up it's like bigger than a flash mob it's more coordinated he's like that's crazy this is what my movie was about and it happens to him right after he's finished writing a really similar scene oh like he's writing the lyrics to the song and then he hears yeah that those are it. oh that yeah and that he would hears it. okay so then yes. he's got i think he's got then a justifiable reason to be like in a non-creepy way to be like, okay, something's going on here. And then he's going to have to, at some point, prove it to Giselle. Now, is Giselle, when they finally meet, is she going to deny being an Andalasian? Or is she just going to be like right out like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm from this magical realm and I moved here. Uh, she was always like that from before. Just open and earnest. Yeah. I mean, she spent 10 years in New York City. And like. she's a little disillusioned by this point. And a little she... disenchanted, which yeah. is the name of the sequel that is actually being made. Yeah, I think that uh, maybe she would try to hide it and uh, try to. Robert's probably like helped her realize like you can't be so open. Well, maybe. Yeah, call. she might have realized by this point that you can't talk openly about what most people is uh, will think is like a fictional place. But then again, she's got the powerful magic and people just like inherently want to believe her. But do you think that she can use her magic now? It's been 10 years. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, we didn't see anything in the original movie to think that sh her powers were diminishing, but I guess it takes place over a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, it's like a week or two. But then again, if she's still able to like create spontaneous song and dance numbers, then yeah, her magic is still as powerful as ever maybe she just doesn't rely on it as much anymore or she does but i guess then uh you know our star of our show bill kelly would know uh who it was is it too on the nose to get nick cage to play bill kelly in this no absolutely not that would be amazing <laughs> okay. okay i mean yeah i mean we we saw like recently that jeff bridges is kind of reprising versions of his roles so i guess it kind of works yeah I mean, and we know Nick Cage would probably be super into this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's done a Who Framed Roger Rabbit style animation live action movie yet, so. I'm not sure either. 
But you guys, you realize that this is kind of like the opposite also of Stranger Than Fiction, where a writer writes about a fictional character and they end up being a real person. And the writer ha has an effect on what happens in their life in that movie. Does that movie also take place in New York? Yeah. Is New York actually magical? Maybe. So, in this movie, Bill Kelly is either a medium that can connect to individuals from Andalasia. Yeah. Could or be. he's like some sort of guardian angel figure that can influence Giselle through his art. Right. I, I like the kind of leaning into the like ancient Greek concept of the muse. Like he's got this ability to like connect with entities that help bring out creative forces. I like that. Like you you're having the stories told to you or seeing them through your dreams or or you know visions. I mean again like wa wanting to connect to that Robert E Howard Conan uh story about how Conan would come to him and tell him the stories. I think that I would like to see Bill realize that he's influencing Giselle's life and that he has control over what happens to her through what he writes. Oh boy, I don't know if I like where this is going. And, or at least to some extent, like not complete control, but like he can just maybe push things in a certain direction or encourage certain things to happen, we'll say. But that I, I think he should come clean to Giselle and, and try to convince her that that's what's happening. Yeah, I think it would be great if he was kind of observing from afar and kind of like keeping his distance and putting sway into kind of the way things are going and recording what she's doing to kind of help influence his production, right? Yeah. And then at one point, he's kind of like having doubts about the whole situation. He's not sure if what he's doing is right and kind of what he's supposed to do with this power. He's writing on like a laptop outside some cafe in New York kind of going through a little bit of a crisis, unsure of what to do. And then someone like spills their drink right next to him and like their food, it kind of like a meat cute, right? And uh, Bill starts helping him pick it up. And who is it but Robert, right? <laughs> nice. Just by coincidence. Yeah. And he's always had control over Giselle, somewhat influence over Giselle, right? Yeah. Yeah, but not Robert, who's from our world. And... Robert is, like, way more relaxed than he was. He has maybe, like, some cool glasses, a soul patch, you know, to show he's cutting loose or something. Oh, boy. He's, like, a, he's like a musician in his free time. He's, like, learned an instrument so he and his <laughs> wife can sing together and stuff. Well, he's probably quit. Performances. He's probably quit the law firm. Like, he's, he's tired of, like, the cynical world of legal. And, like, Giselle's business is doing so well. He can probably just kind of like, you know, start a band and, and no. just like do gigs. No, I think he should uh, become a civil liberties lawyer, like work for the ACLU. Does he really seem like the kind of guy who would go in that direction? Maybe with that Giselle's influence. So <laughs> yeah, he becomes like a lawyer using his skills to help people and kind of make the world better. Yeah. And then we, you could have a scene in court where he takes a page out of Giselle's book. He's like, I've run out of... I've run out of defense for my claim, my cause, right? It's uh, my plan is sunk in the water, but Giselle wouldn't give up. And then he like starts humming a song to himself and everyone's <laughs> just like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing what my wife taught me. He just starts singing a song in court. 
<laughs> trying to get it passed. <laughs> the jury Bill, unanimously agrees to whatever Robert's case is. But this is like <laughs> after Bill Kelly ran into him, right? Yeah. And they start making this bond of friendship. They've been kind of getting to know each other. And he sees what Robert is doing in court and he's like, fuck. He doesn't have... <laughs> Like, he's just from Earth. What is he doing, right? <laughs> he's panicking. And so he starts writing the story of what Robert is doing, trying to help influence it, just like on a prayer, right? Yeah. But Robert has been spending so much time with Giselle that with the combined writing of Bill and his music, they kind of are able to recreate what Giselle is capable of and make a musical number in this place. So we're not telling the story of how the sequel to the Enchanted gets made, though, because Disenchanted, the, the sequel that's upcoming, is supposed to be this kind of, like, cynical version of Giselle. We're, we're going in a different direction, it seems like. Well, I'm kind of thinking that with what Jack is describing, they could actually have an influence on Giselle. Maybe she is jaded, and they help her get her magic back, and they help together through friendship and love help her reconnect with her Andalusian roots and her core internal joy and love of life and everything. So then we're scrapping the scene where he sees her <clears throat> doing a song and dance number. Maybe. Because, I mean, I, I like that as an introduction, but I guess we could figure out something mm. else. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this idea about Bill being able to influence Giselle's life around her, but I guess we can keep digging into it. That could all fit really well, the jaded Giselle, with the scene I just described, right? Right. Because Bill's writer's block could be partially the thing that is making Giselle kind of become more cynical, right? Maybe they figure out at some point that they're influencing each other, like they're connected somehow. Exactly. Like they are kind of soul-bound. Not so much true love. Yeah. But, like, they're kindred spirits between yeah, worlds. I like that. Maybe they were like, born at the same moment in, in both worlds, and that's where they're connected. Yes, under the same star. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that could be really good, actually. <laughs> like, the same constellation was above both of them, and now they are tied as one. They influence each other. Yeah. They're twins from other realities. Right? Nice. They could even look similar. That'd be funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's jaded, and so she is. He has writer's block, so she's losing her creative spark as well, right? Yeah. And then it's Robert, who used to be jaded, but got convinced that there is magic in the world, and he's the one who's kind of kept up the faith. And he believes in friendship. He believes in this music connection between people still. And... It's when he's in court standing up for this good thing, he's like, this is the last ditch effort I've got. My career is sunk if I don't get this bill through. I'm out of options. I gotta try and do what Giselle would have done. Yeah. Right? Even if that's not still true, he's like, I'm standing up for it. And then that's when Bill is like, uh-oh, my friend is about to screw himself over. I need to help him, right? Yeah. And he believes his writing can make a difference. So he kind of starts like trying to maybe trying to sing along a little bit. Yeah. Well, he's like rapidly trying to write the song, right? To like send it to to Robert. Oh, yeah. He's writing the lyrics. So 
Robert can get him out. It's, yeah. this, it's this really tense where he's like having to erase lines and then Robert's singing and then like saying the wrong thing and people were like, what? And then he's like, but I actually mean this. And then everyone's like, oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he like, he accidentally like says a word, misspells a word and it just becomes nonsense. And then the next line, he turns that into like a fun word <laughs> that people repeat throughout the song. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. And I then Giselle, it. Giselle, like jaded, kind of like wondering if she should like get a more serious job considering shutting down her sewing business or something, you know, sad. Kind of just like sees on the radio the case. She's like, I'm too busy to watch your case, honey. I got a lot of stuff at work, something like that. Yeah. But at the last moment, she turns it on and she sees Robert and Bill doing this like performance or she sees them yeah doing their performance and she's like oh my god they're doing it they're leading a musical number i yeah. thought that was a nonsense but they're doing it without me and then so this magic like, must still exist in the world exactly and we remember in the first movie where they're singing that's how you know right yeah and Robert isn't singing along. He's not really participating because he's too grounded in this world. He doesn't believe in the magic of music and Andalasia. He's not letting himself be thrown into it. And so, that's why she's losing her magic as well. She's starting to become rooted in our reality and kind of relying on that less and less. So it's kind of like the inversion of the first movie where... Uh, when Robert is singing in the court, that's the first song of the movie, and it's some way into it, maybe twenty minutes in or something. I mean, this sounds like it might be like the almost the ending point that gives Giselle her like confidence in the magic of our world. I imagine that there could be a lot more happening after this, um, and you'd have to have a progression of Giselle kind of regaining her faith through the power of friendship and stuff. But what I was going to say is that um, it could be like the inversion of the other movie where you have the music that starts partway in and the first one, there's no musical aspects. And then when Robert does it after that, you have more musical numbers. You're because saying in the first movie, there's musical musical numbers in the beginning and then about halfway through, there's no more beyond. Yeah, exactly. And so this way, it's like the magic is starting to come back and you can see it like as an audience through the way the movie changes. Mm -hmm. You know, since this movie is full of magical whimsy in the court scene, I mentioned that he's been learning to play an instrument. I so want him to, like, press down on the bottom of his briefcase like there's a false bottom in his lawyer briefcase <laughs> and yeah. there's a saxophone underneath. Oh, my God. <laughs> it just plays, like, a solo in the middle of the song. <laughs> that kind of works with, like, the, the theme of the movie, I guess. Maybe he's got, yeah. And somehow through all of this, the judge allows it and, like, doesn't stop him. Well, Giselle's magical power can take over an entire crowd of people in Central Park New York and and de cynical New Yorkers like yes into song and dance so. and the song could use the judge like getting fed up and objecting you hitting the you know gavel. desk with his gavel as like the beat to the yeah. song hell yeah like dun, 
Dun, we gotta dun, stand dun, for their dun, rights. Dun, 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 <laughs> yeah, dun. order in the court. Yeah, you know, and then the, that's great. You know, stuff like that, and he just incorporates it, and then the saxophone comes in, <laughs> and then the judge just like tosses his gavel back and like takes off his clothing, and he's wearing like a colorful outfit underneath his robe, and he starts dancing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I imagine like the other lawyer is gonna be like leaving the courtroom. Like I can't believe this. Yeah, like, this is a travesty this is a of justice, disgrace. and people are just like, "No, it's a catchy tune." He gets like frustrated and rips one of his documents in half that ended up being important, and he's like, "Oh," and he's like, "Yay, we did it." <laughs> That was an important piece of evidence he destroyed. Or, you know, not evidence, but something. This is like a Phoenix Wright trial. Exactly. It's a lot like that. So yeah. the first movie is about bringing love and romance into the real world. And the second one could have a theme of, like, bringing friendship and faith in oneself back into the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like a, a, we're leaning into a theme that I think is a good theme for... 2020 and, and you know for all years but like especially for more cynical times which is that in spite of hardships you can still kind of find things that make your you know your life and your work meaningful and helpful to people yeah or that like you know if you've been disillusioned you can get back that spark of hope and joy exactly. and you know trying to be not like super bright sidey or anything no but, but that mm -hmm. like there's a way through the help of your friends that you can work through your problems or f figure out new solutions to things definitely and in the first movie, there was a pretty clear cutoff we described where halfway through the film, the musicals stopped and it became more serious. Yeah, this could be the inverse of that. Yeah. Where this is halfway through the movie and then it starts ramping back up more magical. And Morgan could have a song in it as well. Yeah, because Morgan would be 16 in this part of the story now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Morgan is a teenager. You're right. Yeah, she's kind of not really met Bill, but uh, like Robert has talked about him to her and stuff like that, where they kind of have a talkative relationship where he's like, yeah, Giselle's been having a hard time at work. You know, you can't be a princess all the time in a place like this, right? Sometimes you got to kind of focus on things as they are, you know? Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean that being a princess goes away, right? Stuff like that could be a conversation. It's a like, hereditary title. <laughs> yeah. But like, he's like, yeah, Giselle, she's been having it really hard and been focusing on other things, but she's still a princess, even if she's not realizing that at the moment, right? Yeah. So I want the kind of message in the end not to be that you have to run away back to Andalasia and leave this world behind for a better one I want it to be that you can infuse your life with magic and meaning and joy and hope like we've been saying through the power of friendship and community and and by believing in yourself and you know it could be so sick what uh Giselle could be told of Bill by Robert yeah. A few times throughout the movie, but Giselle is so wrapped up in her own world, her own issues, that sort of thing, 
that she doesn't really have much interest and she doesn't meet him. And then when they finally do meet, she's like, wait a minute. I've had dreams about you. Oh, cool. About Bill. Yeah. So they've been having dreams about each other. That's pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she could, like, pull out an old journal and have, like, written a few stories about Bill's life. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. And they finally came together, or, like, poems or songs or something about Bill's life. Yeah. You wrote about my stamp collection. That's the most (laughs) important thing in my world. (laughs) Yeah. I know it's a little lame, and she's like, you know... I actually don't think stamps are lame at all. (laughs) We don't even have stamps where I come from, but the post office in your world is magical. You know what? Maybe maybe it could be that she wrote kids' books about a writer. Oh! And and it comes, she realizes after meeting Bill that that. The character's name in her books could have been Bill. <laughs> she's been telling, like, I, I guess Morgan's too old for this now. I was going to say she was telling Morgan bedtime stories about Bill. I, I guess so. earlier on, we could have flashbacks where she's, like, telling her stories about, like, and the magical writer told the story about the, you know, the wonderful princess. Yeah. You made a good point, however, a little bit earlier when you were talking about how running to Andalasia to solve your problems isn't a solution. Yeah. That would be an interesting plot point in the film where she's kind of down in the mumps, right? Yeah. And she's like, I wonder if this world is like maybe not as good as I originally thought, right? Like and just maybe love I, was kind ultimately, of... Ultimately, like at one point during the movie, she thinks like, I really don't fit in here. Yeah. Exactly. And she goes back to visit Andalasia and... The lovely couple over there, the prince and Vanessa, is that her name? Nancy and Edward. Nancy, right? Yeah, they kind of take her around on a tour, and it all just seems kind of like out of touch. And though it's kind of fantastical, it's not what she remembered, right? Or it's not... It's not what she was looking for. Just going back there isn't what fixes her problems. Because she's changed. Yeah, exactly. She realizes it's because she's changed. And maybe she could have a sequence where she doesn't feel like she fits in anywhere. But mm-hmm. maybe she finds out that Bill and Robert need her help. Or maybe Morgan needs her help. And so she goes back to the real world. Maybe Morgan comes to get her in Andalasia. Yes. Ooh. That could be great. Yeah. And uh, Giselle could see like this wonderful kingdom and community that Nancy and the prince have made together. Yeah. And just and the kind of wild sexcapades. <laughs> yes. And just kind of be reminded like, oh wait, what matters isn't like where you are, but who you're there with, right? Yeah. And yeah, and then Morgan comes and is like, hey, we need you over there. Uh yeah, like Robert and Bill are in trouble. And that's when they go back and sing the song, get the carriage, and then ride it off to save them. In the middle of, like, the large park. Oh, Central Park. (laughs) Yeah, Central Park. Yeah. You know, that that big park that's right in the middle of New York. What Mm if um, there's some antagonist from Andalasia that's come through and is creating... They're, like, the big bad. 
And you know, it says something about our brand as a podcast that I thought about someone coming to our world to learn the techniques of capitalism and spread it back to Andalasia. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I love that. They've they've heard about how New York is this financial titan of our world, and they're like, I must learn how to harness this stocks exchange. You know, anyone in that world, as long as you've got money, anyone can be a king or a queen, right? <laughs> and they're just sweating with greed and avarice. <laughs> it's got to be like the king of Andalasia or something. <laughs> well, that would be our boy. Edward. I was thinking like a peasant. I don't actually understand how um, the royal line works in Andalasia. <laughs> so I guess now Nancy's the queen. What if it's the big bad wolf? But no, he's like a no. He's like a, a cool dude. Guy. What if it's Red Riding Hood? We know yeah. that she's a fucker. Yeah, based on this movie, and she's yes, dude. She's so good at lying. We know that right. she's so good at lying that she can twist facts and reality to suit her vision of how things should be, because she's tricked our entire world to believe that she was the victim in her story when she was actually trying to murder the big bad wolf, the big good wolf. Yeah, Giselle is telling Morgan that in the first movie, so maybe she's like an influencer here. Oh, that's so good. I love this. Yeah. This be like yes. th this is like the B plot, but I'm I'm beginning to love this B plot as much as the A plot. Yeah. Mm. So, she's in our world, right? Yeah. She finds a way here. Yes, and she's trying to accumulate power here to like be like overthrow Edward and Nancy over in Andalasia. Yeah. She's like, I should be in charge, right? So she's coming here to get wealth, to get weapon. No, maybe not that. Social, <laughs> she's building up social influence to like maybe even build up of you know all these followers who might be willing to do things for her. What exactly. If, what if she wants to try to create an interdimensional tourism agency where she will bring people from Earth to Andalasia knowing how like blown away we would be at going to this insane, magical, en enchanted, and animated world? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But like, you know, like, obviously like people in Andalasia know that this is opening it up to a lot of, you know, potential danger for them and for their environment by having such a huge influx of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's in our world, accumulating power. She has plans on plans, machinations, right? Yeah. And she has a company, right? Okay. Redco. Yeah, Redco, right? <laughs> and they are trying to finagle the laws and change things to make her schemes more easily flowing. But they have bad laws that they're trying to pass. They're a bad corporation. And who's the lawyer trying to stop them but Robert? Yeah. So maybe, so maybe we don't even know. Robert's been fighting this mysterious Redco the whole movie. We, we, he, yeah, we've heard him talking about it. Exactly. But then we get the reveal partway through. Maybe, maybe the audience has seen some, like, okay, beginning of the movie, we see Red Riding Hood coming from Andalasia to our world. But we don't remind the audience that Giselle has already said that she's a liar and a manipulator. So the audience is going to, you know, those who don't remember 
the first movie really well are going to go like, oh, Red Riding Hood, she's fun and, you know, like always this great character that, that is beloved and everything. But we, the, the writers and, and anybody who remembers the first movie is going to go, wait a minute, but she's conniving. So she comes through and then uh, like 20 minutes into the movie, we hear... um Robert talking about how he's taking this fight to Redco and, you know, they're really doing all this bad stuff with the environment and they're trying to, like, buy up all this property that's, you know, like, low-income housing. They want to tear it down to, like, build this big thing that he doesn't understand. But we know that it's a portal between our world and Andalasia. Then, like, at the hour mark, that's when we reveal that Red Riding Hood is the mastermind behind this whole thing. Yes. And at the end... Red Riding Hood could be put on an interdimensional trial <laughs> where there are people from Andalasia and from Earth oh, wow. kind of weighing her crimes. Yeah. And the big bad wolf is there. The as big like good a wolf. Testimonial, the big good wolf. Yeah, as a character witness. Yeah, exactly. And then at the end, uh, they could kind of admit to Red's strengths. And maybe put her in a position where they could be put to good use. Like as an actual ambassador between the worlds. And be like, you know, maybe if we put her in a position where she could thrive, she wouldn't have to do this sort of thing. And right? so you're saying like she gets a redemption arc and it, she's not just a one-dimensional evil character. Well, I mean, you don't want to throw her off the Empire State Building like Nerissa? <laughs> that's a lot of glitter to clean up i just gotta say that's fair <laughs> i it's mean true. andalasia i think is made of glitter yeah maybe red bonds with morgan because they could be a similar age yeah yeah i could see that or maybe she's just and... like, like a, a two or three years older but they're they're close enough in age to where yeah, yeah, they could bond. Maybe we should have a thing where, you know, Red is like an influencer, right? And maybe Morgan's a big fan of hers. Yeah. Yeah. And they could meet. And perhaps during that last trial, Morgan is on the side that's defending Red. Ooh. Because they've been friends. She's like, you know, Red's not all that bad. She's just kind of desperate, right? She clings for things that she's never had, right? Yeah. And uh, she kind of plays toward people forgiving her and kind of seeing her for her better qualities. And she could be the link that brings Red into their community, right? Because the entire thing is about building community and connecting to the people around you. Well, that could include Red, and that could be the kind of final message. Yeah. They're upset at Morgan. They're like, Morgan, don't you know you just befriended the big bad? And Morgan's like, you know... Maybe she needed us. We need each other and she needs us. And maybe she could say like putting people in to these little boxes actually just traps them into being one way or another. And maybe she's capable of more than being the big bad. She could say mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. And so it ends with her like apologizing to the wolf and to like everybody and then they kind of do a dance number and, and they, they're they like dancing around in a circle and like kind of halfway through the song or close to the end of the song, Red kind of joins hands with Giselle and like Bill. 
He's still in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He's, we gotta get. He's him still in our here. perspective character. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, she starts dancing with them, kind of like the way Robert throws his hands up a little bit, and that's how you know in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Red finally decides to join in. That's cool. And then it just kind of keeps panning out from like Central Park or something. And as they're dancing. Yeah. It, it, and then there's like a scene just after that where it shows how Red has like her own office in Andalasia and she's like helping people like with their tour packages and stuff mm. and be and doing other like being an ambassador too. Mm -hmm. And she, like, has a new role, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And at the end, underneath her red cloak, she has, like, a I Heart New York shart shirt on. <laughs> shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I I think we've kind of nailed it with this. We've got a lot to, to work with here that we're going to have to build off of and, and refine. But I think the last thing we need now is a title and a tagline. This enchanted, enchanted too. <laughs> You've seen enchanted, but how about now? <laughs> I'm sure Disney's lawyers are on their way right now. <laughs> Enchantaptation. <laughs> Adaptchantment. <laughs> Or adaptchanted? Reenchantment. <laughs> oh, I like that. Reenchantment is perfect. <laughs> okay. I like I or, yes, or reenchanted. Reenchanted. Really re re yeah, I okay. love reenchanted. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is golden. That is so fucking funny when I hear it said back to Reenchanted. Re I love re it. That is a really good That's name. such a good title for the story <laughs> that we told about Giselle finding the magic in her life again. Yeah. That's She's good. been re-enchanted by it. Oh my god. Okay, alright, that's that's flawless. Now we just need the tagline. She lost her magic, but it was inside her all along. She thought she lost the magic, but it was inside her all along. There you go. That's it. That's perfect. Is that it? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> it's just, this writes itself. I know. This really <laughs> <laughs> and then since it's a Disney movie... They can use other Disney properties, and they could sing Two Worlds, One Family by Phil Collins from Disney's Tarzan also. Oh, that's right. Didn't we see uh, Timon or Pumbaa in Pumbaa. the final scene? The Pumbaa's in the last scene of the mm -hmm. movie. See? Yeah. Yes. They could, be, they could have it on on like a TV in the background. And, and you know what that means? This all exists in the Kingdom Hearts universe, too. Yep. Yes. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. And with that, we'd like to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Rewriting History, Re-Enchanted. <laughs> <laughs> As always, if you enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes and give us a review or on any of your podcast apps that allow that uh, kind of allow thing. for reviews. It's really a huge help if we get those reviews. It helps other listeners find our show. You can also find us on social media at Swords and Satire. And 
If you have the desire and you're able to support us in another way, you can go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash swords and satire and uh, support the show. A few bucks a month will get you bonus content like special episodes and voting rights about the movies that we watch. That's right. Enchanted with a movie that our patrons voted on and, uh, you know, their voice was heard and we covered the movie, as you probably know, because you're listening to this <laughs> and hopefully you listen to the last episode. Yep. And if you have any additional thoughts about the episode, you could direct message us on our social media pages. Or if you feel so inclined, send us an email at swordsandsatire at gmail.com. And until next time, keep telling your stories. Mm -hmm.